Happy Mother's Day. Today, I am talking to a Yale-educated certified nurse midwife who has been working with women for more than 20 years now. She is the mother of three children under the age of eight and also the founder and owner of Beyond the Red Tent, a virtual meeting space for women to connect and learn from each other, sharing their stories and their own health journeys. She also works as a women's health coach. I'm talking to Mariah Brown. I'm Aiden Nepom, and this is The Changed Podcast. Welcome to The Changed Podcast. Thanks for having me. Mariah, so you have worn many hats, um, but you are deeply into uh, what it what it looks like to be a woman at every phase of life, because you have helped birth so many children, and you are now helping to coach women who are going through all kinds of transitions in their life. I, I think that if I was going to talk to anybody about what it is to be a woman or go through the experience of womanhood, you're the person to talk to. Aw, thanks. You know, I... I'm a midwife. You know, I've been attending births for now 21 years, but I really feel like I just midwife women. Like it's not about birth necessarily. It's about midwifing women to be the one to be there and hold them in their highest light and be there to hold their hand and look them in the eyes and help them be in that place of trust and surrender that's required with birth. But to do it in postpartum and perimenopause and menopause and infertility and making money and changing careers and whatever it is, <laughs> midwife women. That's awesome. I think it's awesome. Um, you, in, in the process of doing this, do you feel like you are birthing yourself? Absolutely. And rebirthing myself, you know, and going back through the moments where I've felt pain or sadness or I've been burned and watching how that shows up in moments when fear creeps in and all the who am I mm-hmm. stories that creep in. And so I have my own coaches and I have my own people that I can reach out to kind of, and I see them as my, so to speak, midwife too. I'm curious what your, you know, the, these are all these change points in life that sort of are the focus of the work that you do. But I'm curious what your personal relationship is to change. Like when I ask you even just what does change mean to you? What comes up for you? Mm-hmm. Well, it feels dynamic. It feels exciting. I'm one of those individuals. I've traditionally loved lots of change. You know, I've been in chapters of my life where I was on lots of airplanes and traveling around the world and and just excited for the spontaneity of life. And <laughs> I remember when I met my husband and he proposed our first date and that was 15 years ago. And then he had, I was at a point in my life where, you know, I was single. I was just finishing grad school at Yale. I had done a one year around the world trip where there was very little agenda And I was just like really saturated in the moment. And he had bought tickets to go to a play or something. And I was like, well, but what if we get to that day in time and I want to do something different? (laughs) (laughs) 
don't rein me in with show plans. <laughs> you know, and now I look how different my reality is. Now I have three businesses and three little kids. And most of my, I mean, you could pretty much ask me any day and time and I could pretty much tell you what I'm going to be doing. But, there, <laughs> but there's still constant change in the midst of that. The other mm-hmm. thing being a mom is at least the way we parent is I feel like it's really important with children that they need boundaries. And the visual that I have is you would never send your child out on a high bridge above water with no railings. Sure. Mm -hmm. They're still going to get from point A to point B and it's really not all that different, but the moment you put the side rails on, it creates a sense of safety and security. And so in that, you know, I have a sense of security that I have scheduled times where I'm going to be having productive time and time where I'm going to be with my children. And that's set with very strict boundaries that I'm going to put my phone away. And right now I'm, my love language is quality time. And so right now I'm doing Mm -hmm. quality time with my family. And, you know, if you would have talked to me 15 years ago, I don't, I don't know how I would have dealt with the current boundaries around my schedule, but I know that right now it really works because I want to serve women in a big, profound way around the world. And I also want to serve my children and my husband and my household and my community in big, profound ways. And I'm currently feeling like I'm doing both. I think that's wonderful. Um, I also think it's a cool thing to notice the the way a perspective changes over time. Some, you know, in a, in a little bit, you'll share a story with us of a specific point in time when you were, when you experienced a a pivotal moment or a change. Um, And I think when we think about change, we often think of it as these pivotal moments, these particular choice points, at least I do, but there are also the changes that happen gradually. And I think this, just the simplicity of being like, I don't know if I'm going to want to see that show to, I, if it's going to get done, we got to schedule it. That's like, that's a a perspective change that I'm sure took shape over that 15 years. And it wasn't like one day you woke up. I could be wrong, but (laughs) you know, am I wrong? Wasn't one day you woke up? No, no. Now I have three (laughs) little children and a mortgage and a dog and three fish. (laughs) It's just different. And I'm married. Yeah. Yeah. How do your children um, handle change? They love it. Well, here's the deal. My kids are in Waldorf school. So so much of Waldorf school is about the rhythm and the predictability and the the inhale and the exhale. That rhythm of you're going to go out and do big movement out in the world Mm -hmm. and then you're going to go back into the classroom and and do some knitting, you know? And I Mm -hmm. feel like all of us can really benefit from that when we look at our day and our week and our month and our year. I'm going to work really hard and then I'm going to allow myself some vacation. I'm going to go on a really big hike and then we're going to go home and sit down and read a book. I mean, there has to be that rhythm. And so in, in my children's reaction to change, they love to travel. They're always asking, when are we going to go on our next trip? Um, they're adventurous spirits at their core, just like their mom and dad. And they know that every Friday is family movie night and we have gluten-free pizza and popcorn with nutritional yeast. <laughs> and every night at about 5.30 p.m., we sit down and we have family dinner. 
And those rhythms and the predictability, I think, really creates that sense of safety for them. Mm -hmm. And yet, if there's an opportunity to go on an adventure or specifically a trip and stay in a hotel room where they can jump from bed to bed, (laughs) they're like, can we go now? I'll go pack my bags. Come on. (laughs) That's great. I think that's so neat. Um, I find that uh, a lot of times people will notice that their children struggle with uh, small changes, but accept big changes more readily. Like, um, like uh, right now, my my little one's not as little anymore. She's now just about eight and a half, but she uh, she's just now getting to a point where the changing of clothes and shoes at the season is. Uh, a day long struggle instead of a two week long struggle. It's like, but it's still a struggle mm-hmm. to change, just change the clothes and shoes at the turn of the season. Um, <laughs> but you know, like she's more inclined to suffer through what's familiar than to do the thing that will feel better. Like I'm going to wear these long hot mm-hmm. pants and complain about being hot and uncomfortable, but no, I don't want to wear shorts. Uh, it's just a really interesting thing to notice. And then the same thing is true. She would much rather freeze in the cold than to put on the coat until she just like has suffered enough. But the the window on that seems like it's shrinking. Meanwhile, if we have a change of plans. If we're having an adventure, if it's something like that, she's like, let's do this. It's exciting. Everything's awesome. I've never felt better. This is the best day in my life. And so, you know, the scope of the change seems to really affect her willingness to go along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I don't know. What I've been taught, at least once again, from Waldorf philosophy with children is that really it's not until age eight or nine where they really have true temperature regulation. And so when you when I hear oh, you say that, I'm like, well, you know, I think if that's kind of one of those scenarios where it is a parent's job to say, no, it's cold outside. You might not necessarily realize it, but you're going to wear a coat and hat and gloves today. Um, yeah, I agree with that. It's her, it's her internal struggle with that, that I watch. It's like, we give her the coat and then she's like angry that she's got to wear this coat. And she's like, really? And, and it is, it's only recently that she's actually noticing being cold or being warm. Um, yeah. It's been a fascinating change. Just that alone is a fascinating change to watch. Right. And choices. You know, I think how, how yeah. profound is it with a child? If you can just say, Okay. Do you want choice one or choice two? Yeah. You know, honestly, I think it's the same with adults. Like, yeah, give me two options and I will choose that option and go. But otherwise, <laughs> it's overwhelming. And I just, I think it is. We just have that inner child within ourselves. It's exactly the same as how we're interacting with our kids. I think that's true. There's been studies about decision fatigue. It's very real. That's one of the reasons why I don't waste time. Like if I'm at a restaurant, I don't waste time reading the entire menu. I wait till my eyes rest on something that has ingredients in it that I eat. And I ask myself the question, would I eat this? Yes or no? And if the answer is yes, I stop reading. The secret to making decisions about these things is to have a list of things that you can't or don't eat. And then no matter how big the menu is, there's like three things you can have. And then you right. just choose from those. There you go. Restriction diet. That's the solution to everything. Yeah. Be restricted in every way. And then it's always very easy. I, I mean, okay. I'm joking about it, but actually in the world of improv, that is not untrue. It's like, 
some of the most fun games to play on the improv stage are the ones that have the most restrictions, like even a word restriction game or a physical limitation game are super fun because you discover that inside of limitations, there are all these possibilities. It's that same experience of discovering that there's more time in one second than you think. Yeah. Particularly when you're doing something you really love. Yes, ma'am. Speaking of something I really love, which is improv and playing games, we should pause and play play the game. Aiden asks you a bunch of questions and you try to answer them as quickly as possible. All right. Hit me with your best shot. Awesome. It's really just a speed round of interview. Uh, First question is cake or pie? Neither. Tell me more. I'm not a big sweets person. I'm gonna, I would choose mango. Fair. Blueberry pie that's gluten-free, dairy-free, and sugar-free. I, you know, I have had one that was absolutely delicious at my dad's 70th birthday party. Okay, question number two. Imagine travel works the way it worked prior to the global pandemic response. So just put yourself, you can move back in time or forward in time, either way. But you get on an airplane, and you're seated next to a stranger. Do you put on headphones and pretend that you're on a private jet? Or do you strike up a conversation with the person? Strike up a conversation. Follow-up question. What, what's the most interesting conversation that you've had with a stranger on a plane that like, you can remember? Mm-hmm. I can think of two. One, I was... In my early 20s, in the corporate world, and I was traveling a lot on lots of airplanes at that chapter of my life, and I was going between Los Angeles and Cincinnati and sat next to this gentleman that was a financial advisor, and I just felt, I remember feeling like we had the most authentic banter, like really big age difference, gender difference, geographic difference, and yet we had the most interesting conversation really getting to know one another and I felt like we mutually and genuinely wanted each other to succeed and it's so crazy it's been probably 20 almost 25 years since then and I still keep in touch with him oh cool and then when oh my gosh yeah I know but wild right and um when I did the around the world trip you know it was me and a backpack for an entire year and I think (laughs) The, everybody always said, wait, what? How? And at that point, I was like, I don't know. I just sold everything and I just took off. What do you mean how? <laughs> <laughs> and so all of those conversations, seeing people's bewilderment and confusion about how that could be pulled off. And now I think I understand it better. because It's like, right, how would I do that right now? I have a mortgage. I have right. children. I have animals. I have... You know, how could I still pull that off right now in the current infrastructure of my life? But I think those were always fascinating conversations just to feel a little bit kind of feisty and spiteful and like, what do you mean, how? Why not? <laughs> Push people love that. do it too. You just sell everything and you're just booking around the world trip. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, speaking of travel, um, since we've already, we're already in that zone. Next question is when you check in to a hotel for a weekend trip, what's the first thing you do? Is it unpack and organize all the things? Is it 
take a nap? Is it go do something? What's the first thing you do when you check in? Look out, open the blinds, look out the window, unplug the phone because my kids are with me and they always play with the phone. And so unplug it. <laughs> um, and unpack my toiletries. Okay. Last question is, read any good books lately? Yes. Lots of them. Um, any you would recommend specifically? My goodness. I'm listening to Audible right now. I was so right now on Audible. I have Denise Dufield Thomas, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch, and Chillpreneur. And I'm listening to Alison Armstrong, Understanding Women and Celebrating Partnership. Those are both workshops that she did that were recorded. And then in regard to paper turning books, right now we're mm-hmm. totally into the Harry Potter series. With the kids. What kind of music are you drawn to? I love R&B. Um, I can tell you some of my top songs right now. I just need a mix. Brit Nicole, Be the Change, Imagine Drags and Dragons, Whatever It Takes. I love, like, I can never get enough of Fight Song and Firework. Oh, the song from the movie Brave, Touch the Sky, that's beautiful. Um, Oh, that's a great song. Speechless. That's a great song. I mean, these are all songs that I like to listen to and then the kids can listen to, too, you know? Thank you for playing. Uh, Aiden asks you a bunch of questions and you answer them as quickly as possible. Um, Well, Mariah, I would love if you would share with us a story from your real life as we're talking about change and the things that change us. We've heard of this sort of like one example of a gradual change in your experience, but I know that there's also been many of these moments of pivot um, where something affected you in, in the moment or shortly thereafter. And so if you would. Sure. Would you totally. please tell us a story from your real life of a moment of change? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's two of them, but I'm only going to tell one of them. So the second one that I'm not going to tell <laughs> is I live, in, <laughs> I live in Southern Oregon. And for those that don't know, we had some really intense fires here uh, this last fall. And the very first day since becoming, since becoming a mom eight years ago, I dropped all three of my kids off at school for the very first time. And that was the day of the fires. And I literally had to drive through the fire to get to my kids with flames on either side of my car, people fleeing the fire towards me with my husband on the phone, literally not knowing if I was going to survive. And so that obviously was this year and that memory, um, is still very alive and I don't and and but the reason I bring that up is I think it ties into the, the, the memory the story that I want to tell which is um, when I was pregnant with my very first child and you know my husband like I said he'd proposed our first date I had done an around the world trip we had done a four and a half month honeymoon around the world I and mean, we just we had those personalities where we would just jump and life has, had always turned out amazingly. And so here we were, we were living in Hawaii at the time and had a beautiful house. And uh, I, I was asked to go to Alaska to work as a midwife for three months to fit in and, and uh, for a midwife. And I was gonna go up there and we would get prenatal care and they were gonna cover my move. And my husband got a, a job as well. And so we 
came to the mainland and rented out our house and we had our dog and we were pregnant with our first baby and bought a car and were driving along the Alcan Highway up through Canada to get to Alaska. And I ended up miscarrying in the middle of nowhere. There was, what makes me emotional, there was no cell phone reception, there was no hospital, there was no town. I, we were camping and luckily I had my midwifery bag with me and um, and it, there was all the all of the disbelief that this was happening and the surges in my body and in and um, I just remember needing water and so my husband drove an hour and found this hotel where they would rent to us by the hour so I, we could mis miscarry and I could get into a bathtub and in between contractions helping him understand what to do if I bled out and you know, like having to be these, like we're both stepping in as the provider and the parent mourning the loss and pushed this little 13 week baby out and then had to right afterwards get in the car and race to Skagway because we had a boat already booked and make it to Juneau. And when we got to Juneau, they said, oh my gosh, we're so sorry, but we actually don't have work for you. And that 10,000 that we were going to reimburse you for your move, we're actually not going to reimburse you anymore. So we literally found ourselves jobless, homeless, uninsured, no longer pregnant with an extra $10,000 debt and a home that we couldn't return to. And we were with our dog. It was devastating. It was really painful. And that was um, 10 years ago. And it's so fascinating how much I still have moments where that still paints my current life. Because I go all the stories back to, you know, did I not see the signs? Did I, were we, were we doing too much? Um, if I had just rested a, a little bit more that day before rather than doing those extra hikes or whatever it may be, and and the, the sadness that I went into and the loss, and then of course each subsequent pregnancy after that, I've had three babies since then, it was really scary until I made it beyond 13 weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, and then as a midwife and a women's health provider, being able to acknowledge that in women's experience, you know, I've... I know women who have pushed out a stillborn baby. And so their whole pregnancy ha is painted with this angst. Mm -hmm. And then how does that play out, you know, when, when I finally took the leap as an entrepreneur and had my own business, not as a franchise, not owning a business with someone else, not being an employee, I realized that I was really afraid. I was so afraid that taking this leap that I would make a poor decision and get burned again. But the, the good news is at least over the last two years, it took me eight years. It took me eight years to really take another jump. And I remember when I started jumping again, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm jumping. This is really intense. And I, you know, I had to work with my mindset coach and, and, and check myself and do all my stress management stuff to just let my inner child know I was, it's going to be okay. And each time there's this new bit of trust 
but it's still scary. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, well, thank you for sharing that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sharing both stories. You secretly shared both stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and for sharing your thoughts about that as well. That's, uh, you know, I. that's interesting. The idea, the parallel that you're kind of drawing between, you know, the risk of carrying a life and the risk of sort of running a business feels like you're carrying your own life, I think, when you yeah. jump out into entrepreneurship. So yeah. I do think that's a really interesting parallel to notice. Mm-hmm. The oh. difference in my mind as I hear those stories, though, is that first go round, you weren't thinking about risk, you were just living. So the consequence then is now you think about the risk, the fear factor is there where before the fear factor wasn't and that's the big change. That's interesting. The The possibility of failure had never crossed my mind. I mean, I grew up in a town where football was a big deal. And the, I went to high school at Ashland, Oregon, you know. And the Ashland, Oregon football team won first in state eight years in a row, which was my entire experience of middle school and high school. And I think, look back at that, and that was significant. That... Failure was not even an option in in what I grew up in. And it became such a bonding experience within the community and the and our classmates. Oh my gosh, Mariah. This is really interesting. So we haven't said this out loud to the listeners. So we did. We went to high school together. We did more than that. We sat next to each other and played oboe together um, <laughs> in middle school. And also our dads knew each other. And so, yeah, it's a small town. I probably should have mentioned that up front. It's fun to discover it now. Um, maybe. <laughs> but I never really thought about it in those terms. I, I did and I didn't. I thought about it 10 years after we left our, you know, we graduated from high school. I came back and had a mini reunion with my friend group and everyone in that group was doing something remarkable. And I yeah. had been having adventures, which to anybody else would seem remarkable. Um, but you know, like, um, one of our classmates was like, she was already like a really well-respected lawyer in Michigan. And one of our classmates uh, had, she'd already gotten her naturopathic medicine license. Like she was an, a licensed physician and went back to also become an MD. So she was in the middle of that process because she wanted to have an integrated practice by herself. And so it was like that level of, of ambition. And I was like, well, I was living in Israel for a while and then South Korea for a while. Now I front a band, you know, and it was like <laughs> this totally different, like, I'm just, you know, and I had, I had blonde hair, but I'm, I'm, you know, but I'm dying it back. And it was like, <laughs> it was just like, I felt in that moment, like, oh my God, look at where I have come from and look at what I am doing. Um, it's an interesting thing to observe that we grew up in this, like, you know, the debate team also was like winning year after year after year. The It wasn't just the football team winning. It was everybody was winners. And also was, this like true. little and hippie so community. and <laughs> Yeah. So you were still winning though. I mean, to, to live around the world yeah. and have those types of 
we, you could still jump and get on an airplane and go to a different part of the world. And the idea of failure had not really crossed our minds. And, you know, I got one right. of the internships in my undergrad and had a pretty much full ride scholarship to Yale and did the around the world trip. And, you know, it was just, yeah. I would just say yes and jump and, and win in whatever winning means. But in this scenario, there was something about the jump to go to Alaska where I got really what felt like burned. And it's so ironic, mm. like this other story where I drove through the fire to get to my kids and I didn't get burned and I showed my courage. Yeah. Um, and that's why I, I felt like there was value in telling both stories is yes. I think they're tied together. And, but there's still that experience 10 years ago, I, I felt crushed and I felt crushed for a long time. And it, um, it depleted my confidence and it depleted my courage. And so it's only been in the last couple of years that I'm starting to poke outside and watch myself blossom again and, and then experiencing some wins. And so then I get to rebuild my courage back up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, survival in a giant, amazingly horrifying fire is a huge win in and of itself. But also, it has been cool to observe from the outside some of your other wins. Um, what do you think would be different for you, aside from the obvious of having potentially four children instead of three? Had had you carried that pregnancy to fruition, what would yeah. You still would have gotten to Juno and been yeah. given this terrible news. I don't know. I don't I mean, so I know for sure that as a provider and a woman who midwives women, of course there's a silver lining. And of course I'm grateful for the empathy and compassion that I'm able to experience. It was so wild mm -hmm. when I had the miscarriage and I put together like a journal entry and sent it out to everyone because I knew that I didn't want to have to tell the story over and over and over again. And so I just wrote it and I sent it out. And actually that story is now published in one of my businesses. If you go to beyondtheredtent.com, click on articles and just do a search for miscarriage. But um, I can also post the link in the show notes here. I think I will yeah, because I think sure. I've, I've read the written version of that story. And I think if if you are a person who has lost a pregnancy, whether you were carrying or supporting that pregnancy as the spouse, I think, um, or are in the process of grieving that loss. I think that that story in particular is a really important, I don't know if important is the right word. It's a, it's good to read other people's stories. Yeah. And when I initially wrote it, I could not believe how many women responded with their miscarriage story. My aunties, my grandmothers, my aunties' friends, my friends. And I realized um, there are these chapters in life that women, I, I, use, I say women because I generally work just with women, that women go through that never get told. You know, I've held... Yeah. I've held space for women now through miscarriages and giving birth to stillborn babies and abortions and, and the, the battle of infertility and, and also into the, the mourning, the loss of their fertility as they're transitioning through perimenopause and menopause. And often it's not talked about. 
And especially mm-hmm. around pregnancy, people don't even tell anybody until there's to second trimester. So now a woman will have a miscarriage and just go right back to work. Nobody knows. There's no mourning the loss of this child. And I had no idea. And so then all these stories were coming in. I think, I don't have statistics to back this up. I bet you 80 to 90% of women have had a miscarriage at some point in their life. And I, I, that's right. I don't, they either didn't know they were pregnant or they just have never told anybody. I think that that's right. Okay. Um, I, I so, you know this. My listeners don't know this. You're about to find out, listeners. But um, I I lost a pregnancy uh, in 2019 at Thanksgiving. So, it was a very strange timing to lose that. And, uh, and I read your story at that time. It brought me a lot of comfort. And similarly to what you're sharing, what I discovered was how many women in my, just in my direct line of sight, had stories to share. There's like these taboo topics. Yeah. Sexuality and anatomy and abortion and miscarriage. And I mean, there's so many, but because they're not, they're so oftenly taboo topics to talk about, even amongst women. Then when it's brought up, it's like, how do I respond to this? You know? And, and I think lack of comfort, they don't really know what to do. Yeah, you know, anything that um anything that's outside of what we're used to is going to feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I like that you shared your story and I like that you have these open conversations and mm-hmm. I like that these are becoming more and more commonplace because eventually what will happen and it may not be this generation, maybe it'll be the next or the one after that, but eventually what will happen is it won't be weird to talk about it the more it becomes talked about. It will just be a thing people are able to talk about. And it's about creating safe containers. I mean, that's that's why I do what I do, is I felt yeah. like, I mean, you know, so I have two businesses. There's Beyond the Red Tent. That's where there's, it's of a larger platform that women can come and ask those questions and there's nothing that's off the table. And to kind of normalize it, when you have a group of 14,000 women, inevitably someone's going to ask a question and there's going to be others that are going to relate. And you're going, oh my God, I'm not the only one. And so, you know, we're doing that deep dive into vaginal smells and anatomy and sexuality (laughs) and bleeding and menopause and um, GI stuff and energy and sleep. And I mean, there's just so many aspects of being a woman that um, I think as a women's health provider, I would have this safe container where women would come to me and I often got to hear the stories or hear the questions from women. Mm-hmm. And the big thing that was apparent to me is there was a loss in society of women having aunties and grandmothers and friends to um, to just bounce things off of. And so mm-hmm. women would come to me being surprised by certain aspects of their women's health journey or asking questions that to me felt like, wow, this is actually quite normal and to be expected. Yeah. But they yeah. they don't they didn't have a place to ask the questions or talk about it. And so Well, I'm- Marina, this seems like a good moment to ask you then. Uh would 
which is if people want to, if women want to get in touch with you, obviously the, the short answer is just go look at the show notes for this podcast where the links live. But if people want to take notes or whatever, where do you, where do people work with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, the two main businesses that I run, one is Beyond the Red Tent. So you can go to beyondtheredtent.com. Check that out. There's a membership. There are published articles every week. Sign up for those newsletters and it's always beautiful content that's emailed out every Monday. And then Beyond the Red Tent has a Facebook group as well where I vet experts and interview them every month. And then for my personal program where I work really deeply with women to help them move from exhausted to energized, balance their hormones, and really feel turned on by their life, their lover, and themselves. And that's a deep dive through a functional medicine approach. Um, You know, not prescriptions, not thousands of dollars on lab tests and a shelf of supplements, but really result-oriented hand-holding over a chunk of time for women that are really committed to transformation. And so if that's something that you're going, ooh, I'm hungry for that, you can go to mariahbrown.com. M-A-R-A-Y-A. And when you're there, grab my free adaptogen elixir recipes. Those are yummy and soothing to your adrenals. Make them each day. And if you click on get started, you can book what's called a free breakthrough call. And I just gift women time to let's chat and go, what's not working? What have you tried? And let me see if I can point you in the direction of solutions. I might point you in the direction of one of the experts that I have vetted or a podcast or an, a book, and I might offer you up a program to uh, off a spot to work specifically with me and my program, and it's all good either way. What I want is for women to have breakthrough and feel like they have hope for transformation, and um, and then I'm a lot, you know, I'm in the Facebook world a lot and growing an Instagram, not yet on Clubhouse, but I keep hearing I need to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Clubhouse is kind of kind of cool and very daunting I think if you're not already in there yeah um uh, thank you so much for all of your insights and stories today Mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate it are there any last words you'd like to leave listeners with just keep keep looking I think so much of it is finding the right route or the right coach or the right path for you and everyone has the full potential to feel vibrant and energized and hormonally balanced and emotionally balanced and um, and really passionate about the life that they're living. And um, sometimes it just starts with baby steps and have someone, someone there that you really trust and respect to hold your hand a little bit. It's I always have the visual of jumping across a creek. Just It's too daunting to jump all the way across, but the moment you have some stepping stones and you just get to do one at a time, you can get across. And so, um, you know, find someone that can help you kind of chunk it down and just take one step at a time and it, 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 don't give up. Thank you, Mariah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. When it comes to the big changes, fear is often in the mix. Fear of the unknown, fear of taking risks that don't pay off, fear of falling flat, fear of failure, fear of success. But I'm a firm believer that if we can take a moment and talk to our fear and see what it has to tell us, examine where it might be coming from, that that can be a really transformative choice. Because fear is a teacher. I mean, think about it. We don't really get 
beer in the mix when we're talking about the really mundane routine things in our life. It's only when we're about to take a leap of some kind and we don't know what's going to happen. So what fear teaches us is to pay attention, to have empathy, and to notice more of what you're doing in that moment. So when you experience fear, sometimes a really good choice is to stop, turn to yourself and ask, what am I really afraid of? What's the evidence that that's what's really happening? And what do I need right now to move forward anyway? If you are a woman and you are feeling like you are not living your best life in your body, then I encourage you to reach out to Mariah and see how her course might help you fall in love with your life, your lover, and yourself. Use the link in the show notes at thechangepodcast.com. Special thanks go to my family for their love, support, and patience. To all of you, of course, for listening. And to all of the amazing Changed Podcast Patreon page members, who I couldn't do this without. The Art of Change Skills for Life and Patreon member producer, Dr. Rick Kirshner. I want to thank you for your listenership and your support. This is The Changed Podcast. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of experiences in life you're excited to tell stories about. Music